Welcome to the most listened to golf in the world, the Fairways of Life show, on air, online, and around the world. With the most candid interviews, unforgettable stories, taking you beyond the ropes. Here's your host, New York Times best-selling author and Golf Channel's Matt Adams. Hey, everybody. Welcome into the Fairways of Life show. It is a delight to have your company from wherever you are joining us. As you can tell, I'm still on the road. That's about to come to an end, so I'm going to get a few weeks uh, back home, which has been, geez, I guess almost three months of being on the road with, with such consistency. We're just outside of NBC Sports just wrapped up hosting Golf Central pregames and postgames with Billy Kratzer over the last week, and it was great fun. It's great hanging out with Billy. Uh, just absolutely devastating stories coming out of Florida, and then the, the uh, Ian goes up and slams back into the Carolinas coast, not with as much power, but uh, just thinking about everybody that was in harm's way with that storm because the images that we're seeing – are coming back looking, I don't know how else to phrase it than to say it looks like a bomb hit in in the areas around Fort Myers. So uh, just thinking about everybody there. I did see a thing online, which I thought was interesting, last night that they're trying to hire people to go down there, workers to go down there to clean up. And one place that I was looking, again, I don't know if it's legitimacy, I just saw it, was $4,000 a week plus a room and a per diem. That's how hard they're they're trying to get people to come down and help with the with the whole devastated area and uh, for those of you that had uh, uh, the property in the area loved ones in the area I, I can imagine it's torturous trying to find out what the fate is of all of that we wish you the very very best with that indeed so we had three big events that came to a conclusion yesterday in and around the world of golf the first one was taking place in St. Andrews. When you have the Alfred Dunhill links, it's one of my favorite events of the year. When I'm not otherwise working, I can think of all the years where I used to get up with a cup of coffee early on a weekend morning and just sit there loving watching the play at Kings Barnes, at Carnoustie, and at the old course of St. Andrews. And, and even before I tell you the details of it, I'm going to grab Dom here for a second because Dominic, I imagine now that you've been to St. Andrews from this past July with the Open, and you got a chance to to watch the Alfred Dunhill links. How cool was it that as you're watching, you're like, hey, that's old Tom's Golf Shop. I know where that is, or that's where we went to, for dinner, or that's the step that I was sitting on when I was watching people coming in on 18. It was extremely cool, but I have to be mm-hmm. honest, Matt, the one thing that stood out the most for me yeah. was, now that having been there, is the undulations. Like seeing... The, the downhill, uphill, sidehill lies because of how much of how much movement and like mogully it is that you can't you can't that doesn't just like with Augusta, it doesn't come across on television. But now oh, okay. having been there, when you're seeing the guys in the fairway and you're like, oh, man, I know how steep that is. It really doesn't look that steep when you're watching it on TV. But now that I've been there, it's like, man, that's a hard shot. You, you recognize cool. the difficulty the level of difficulty is so much higher than it looks like on television, if that makes sense. Yeah, very special place. Uh, as you guys know, we're going there next May uh, with with fans of the Fairways of Life show. I think the trip is sold out. Uh, if you go to fairwaysoflife.com, Dom, do you have something up there on the website where people can get information just in case there is a spot open? We sure do. We sure do. Okay. If you go to fairwaysoflife.com, we have a trips page. 
which right there on the drop down list, it's literally trips page and you can go there and then we have some information and there's a link there that will take you to all the golf courses we're playing, the dates of the trip, the itinerary for the trip, including St. Andrews that Matt was referencing. So I, I'm not sure that there are any spots left, Matt, but uh, there's no there's no harm in, in sending a note off and trying to get in. Because yeah, I know I, even, as, even if there are no spots, there's for sure a wait list. So might as well get in line. Yeah, and when you have a wait list, it's almost inevitable that for some reason somebody can't go, and, and a lot of those people oh, end up sure. getting in. But as we're talking about this, I just noticed on your little shelf behind you, you have one of the done vegan uh, cups up in the upper left. Perhaps right there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's just, a, it's just the latest edition here. Latest edition to my little studio space here. Not those bad, were right? the cups. Yeah, those were the cups that they made specifically for the open, right? If I remember correctly. Yeah, I, I mean, they. it's not. A, it, I think it's a collector's item, but let's be clear. It's not like super special. I, I remember we remember we talked to the GM and a lot of the folks who worked there and they had like thousands of these cups they had, made up. They had 5,000 of them. They're plastic cups. Yeah, they have like a ton you did it any bigger than But I, the reason I would say it's kind of a collector's item is let's be real here, Matt. A lot of these didn't make it back or even make it anywhere. They're probably on the ground somewhere in a trash can oh, yeah. or wherever. Yeah, they're in a landfill someplace <laughs> or hopefully in being landfill, melted yeah. down and reused. So it was really cool. Uh, Ryan Fox ended up breaking through and winning. It was his second win on the DP World Tour this year. It was his third win on the DP World Tour overall. He's 35 years old. Jay Townsend in the coverage yesterday, I love the description. He described Ryan Fox as a keg with legs. And that keg with legs was able to get it done. Uh, he comes from New Zealand. He's the son of an absolute rugby legend and Grant Fox. And his dad and mom were both on site for the victory. Coming up in the Fairways of Life show today, you're going to hear from Ryan Fox talking about the significance. Uh, his partner in the Pro-Am portion of this event for the last five years is an Australian cricket legend who passed away earlier this year at 52 years old from a heart attack. And he talked about how he dedicated the event to him and more. You'll hear it all coming up. It was really cool. It was really emotional. And it was a way uh, from a human perspective to connect with something that this man did. Otherwise, two other breakthrough wins on the PGA Tour and the LPGA Tour. And when I say breakthrough wins, both players who won had not won. They'd all both previously won one time on their respective tours in Charlie Hill and Mackenzie Hughes. And both of them had not won for nearly six years. The divide between the time of when they last won between them was one day. And the only reason why there was one day separate them is because when Mackenzie Hughes won the RSM Classic back in 2016, it wasn't able to finish until Monday because of darkness in the playoff. And I can remember that day we were there because it was freezing cold. When we were standing uh, waiting for the playoff to ensue on Monday morning, it was temperatures in the 30s, but Mackenzie Hughes got hot. So too did he yesterday. Mackenzie Hughes at the Sanderson Farms Championship was able to win over Sepp Straka in a playoff, and it took the second playoff hole to decide who the victor would be. And he came away, and it was great images of him hugging his family and more. And as you can imagine, there's always insight. There's always wisdom in any champion. And when you hear his sound coming up today, you'll be, I think, impressed with the way that the mental fortitude that he used in terms of uh, his self-talk that he talked about, the confidence that he wants to instill in himself. He's working very hard in the gym to gain strength. He's work working very hard in a swing to gain 
ball speed, and he's been successful with both. So it was a really enjoyable event to see how and why it played out. Isn't that a classic trophy? Uh, what's more. So you're going to be hearing from him as well. And then Charlie Hull on the LPGA. It's called the Ascendant LPGA, and they're playing at the Old American Club. It's a golf club that was designed by Trip Davis and Justin Thomas. And over the years here in the Fairways of Life show, we've had the pleasure of talking to Trip and Justin about this golf course. The golf course was based on the designs of the classics. We're talking, you know, Donald, uh, Donald Ross, uh, A.W. Tillinghast, Perry Maxwell, etc., And so what you're going to see in the golf course is one where you're going to have raised green complexes, false fronts, the way the bunkering is done. There's a lot of bunkers that are in in the fairway as well. And I think that's more of an ode to, say, St. Andrews, if you please, uh, that 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 they are there. And they did have an impact on play throughout the course of the week. It was a really impressive leaderboard. As I mentioned to you, Charlie Hall, just like Mackenzie Hughes, had not won in six years, almost. It was it was November uh, for both of them six years ago when they won their first. And now both of them are two-time winners on their respective tours. And Charlie Hall was talking about what she's been working on in order to get to the point that she was ready to win again on the LPGA Tour, and she did do it. So you're going to be hearing from her in just a little while. That sound that I keep referencing for you coming up in the Fairways of Life shows because we're going to take the sound and we're going to stack it for you in our third segment, which honestly will give me the time that I need as Donna and I have to run to the airport and catch a flight back down to Florida. So we're super excited about that. But when we come back, we're going to be talking about I guess far more serious issues. A counterclaim was filed by the PGA Tour against Liv in their suit. They had to do it by date specific. Uh, it was. I'm going to explain to you uh, what I found out about these claims and, and why they handle it the way that they do. Uh, I know a lot of people have taken a side on one side or the other. And when this counterclaim came out, there was a lot of people fist pumping saying, yeah, now it's the opportunity for the PGA Tour to go on the offensive. Uh, from the legal experts that I've spoken to, it is about maneuvering. It's not necessarily about going on offense as much as it is is. is it, coming up with a firewall uh, so that uh, as one as one wild flame comes this direction, another one hits it, and then they see where they go from there. Remember, there is still the opportunity of a summary judgment in this. I won't get too uh, legalese technical on this, but there is significance to it. We're going to talk about it in just a moment. The PGA Tour Superstore is the presenting sponsor of the Fairways of Life show. We are so proud to be associated with the number one golf retailer in all of the land. Cannot wait uh, in just a couple of weeks. So we're going to be heading up there and doing broadcasts from the Atlanta area where their headquarters are. Going to meet with the staff. We're going to go to Mr. Blanks' charity golf tournament. We're just really looking forward to whenever we get a chance to hang out with our friends and partners. And you can hang out with your friends at the PGA Tour Superstore. And whether you wear it, whether you swing it, whether you can learn from it, whether you're buying it for somebody else. There are so many reasons why the PGA Tour Superstore is the place where you can become better at the game of golf than you've ever been before for a whole variety of reasons. And it's because of the professionals that they have in their staff. PGATourSuperstore.com, great place to get started. More coming up after this. In Ireland, golf is more than just a game. Come and experience our world-famous Lynx courses and our world-famous Parkland courses, all set alongside world-famous scenery, and visit our world-famous historic sites 
And while you're here, enjoy our world-famous hospitality. Press the green button and start your journey at ireland.com slash golf. You're a golf fan. I am giving all this equipment away. I'm Matt Adams, host of the Fairways of Life show. We're the only live daily golf show on YouTube. We're also available on demand. You can just click and subscribe right here. And we give away product to our subscribers. I literally give it to you. What other show does that? There is no other show that's live every day on YouTube. All you have to do is click and subscribe. And you got a chance at winning some of this. Want to get ball fit like the pros? Now it's easy. Just grab your phone and a friend and have them record a video of you hitting a drive. Hello, Senior Tour. I've absolutely smoked that. <laughs> anyway, submit your video to BridgestoneGolf.com. You'll receive an email showing your stats and the best tour be for your game. So get fit and get better. Sweet. You got me on a good day. Are you ready for golf's biggest season ever because we are our certified fitters are waiting to fit you for free with the latest clubs from callaway taylormade cobra titleist and more plus shop the latest gear and apparel from all your favorite brands experience golf's biggest selection under one roof don't just shop this season shop with the pros at the pga tour superstore are you an E or a C? Both have Ridgeback. These are loaded with tech. Which one are you gaming? Definitely E for me. It's just so forgiving. I'm definitely an E. C is for Cheka. What else? C is for kill it. C is me. Low spinning bombs. So, are you an E or a C? Hmm. I don't know. Hey, wait a minute. Pound for pound, nothing comes close. This is the Wiz. It tracks your swing in real time. Got it. One, zero, one. Gives you feedback in real time. Do you feel where you are in your golf swing? Transition, plus 4.2 inches. Length of back swing, 50.3 inches. The Wiz have really helped me to keep that consistent swing. Instead of guessing, I get the direct feedback. Transition on plane. That's the mic drop. Welcome back to the Fairways of Life show, folks. Pleasure to have your company from wherever you are joining us. Matt Adams here with you, still on the road just outside of New York City. I've uh, been up here hosting this week at NBC Sports. I love coming up here. It's it's home for me, uh, it, which uh, incidentally, it's something when, you, when you're from an area and then over the years things change. Like now, they have all these bear sightings up here. Dom, I think when you were living in Avon, didn't you used to, with regularity, have a bear, like, wandering into your backyard? Not a bear. Many bears. <laughs> That's unbelievable. We had – there were black bear everywhere. Like, you'd – like, I'd take my son for a walk in our little cul-de-sac, and you'd see bears. They were everywhere. But they were almost, like – sounds weird saying it, but they were almost a little domesticated. Like, if they didn't have their little cubs around, they just kind of – you got everyone just left each other alone. I, I mowed – I was mowing my lawn less than probably, I'm going to say, 15 yards from a black bear. Walked right by me. 
wasn't that the story where you were mowing your lawn and you saw like your neighbor like waving at you and being all crazy? Yeah. Like, What's wrong with that guy? Yeah, that was the story. But it just gives you an example of how domesticated the black bears were because I was just mowing the lawn and I had my earbuds in. And of course, I'm on the lawn, so I couldn't see anything, and I was just in my little world. And my neighbor—I thought I heard a dog barking through my my earbuds. I was like, "Is that a dog barking?" And I like looked like to one side, and I saw a dog through the trees barking like mad in the neighbor's yard. But my neighbor didn't have a dog. It's like, what is that dog doing there? And then I saw a guy right behind the dog, just like waving his hands and pointing and waving his hands. And I turned around and like literally right there is a black bear. Like that's a black bear. I'm going to die. Oh my gosh. And I gosh. just backed away slowly. And the bear just, there, there were so many bear. They're so used to people there that, just, you know, you leave them alone, they leave you alone. And they're always rooting through your trash. There's a big problem with black bears rooting through your trash. It's unbelievable. It truly, it, just with as an aside, if it was, if it was truly domesticated, it would have finished cutting the grass for you. But yeah, it would have been nice. I grew, yeah. I grew up there, and I've never to this day I still haven't seen a, a black bear in the wild. So yeah, the other day they have nowhere to go, Matt. They have nowhere to go. They've we've but taken they, away. They where weren't they even live. around. Like, when, when, when you, well, when you grew up, it was all trees, and now all the trees are houses. Where are they supposed to live? They but they had to have come down from northern New England. They had to have they had to have wandered down. They just they weren't living in. In that part, because where where I'm from in the northwest part of Connecticut is much as dairy country as it ever was. It's still it's still woods and trees and beautiful, and now they're occupied by bears. So here's the thing: the other day, a report came out that there was a moose walking around that same area. Did I tell you about this, Dom? In the in the like Danbury Brookfield area, about an hour. There's a moose, and the reason why, like, first of all, there was like reports. Of, of a moose being spotted. And for some people, they didn't even know what the hell it was. It was just a this huge animal. This is in animal. Connecticut or Rhode Island? Yeah, Connecticut. And so okay. they, they definitively know that it's a moose because it got caught on a farmer's fence. And so police and, and the fire department had to go out and cut you know the top part of a fence off. And once they dropped off that first rung, the moose was able to meander on its way. Uh, again, is it one moose? I don't think they're meese, plural, but or, I, but it's just incredible what, what's <laughs> what's happening with all of that. <laughs> yes, exactly. I'm pretty sure the plural for moose is moose. Mooses. So I don't know if there's mooses or if it's just the one, but it's still incredible what's with, with all of that. All right, so I did want to well, talk to you about Well, you and I are both was... clearly nature experts, so we know exactly yeah. what we're talking about. <laughs> yes, as we talk about the Mises. Well, you know, the bear because the of the... Of... Because of the woods. Come on. You know, everybody knows. <laughs> yeah, the gaggle of, of Meese. So right. <laughs> I want to talk to you guys about what took place in the countersuit from the PGA Tour. Uh, an article that was written uh, some days ago now on the 29th by Rex Hoggard, I think summarizes it pretty well. And I'm going to dive into that first for context. Then I want to reflect back on comments from just a couple days ago from Rory McIlroy. And, and after that, uh, one guy's opinion, I, I will I talk to you about some, some pathways that I think might exist here. Uh, th- this is from Rex's article. You can find it on GolfChannel.com. The PGA Tour responded Wednesday to the antitrust lawsuit filed in the U.S. District Court last month with a 71-page motion that included a counterclaim against Live Golf for contractual interference. 
The tour's response to the lawsuit, which was originally filed by 11 tour members who had been suspended for violating the circuit's policies and playing in the Saudi-backed Live Golf League, claimed the suspended players knowingly violated its policies. Quoting, through this lawsuit, Liv asked the court to invalidate these wholly legitimate provisions with the stroke of a pen after inducing the remaining player plaintiffs to violate those same regulations with hundreds of billions of dollars in Saudi money. The player plaintiffs that have remained in the case, eight of the original 11 players have withdrawn their names from the lawsuit already, want only to enrich themselves in complete disregard of the promises they made to the tour and its members when they joined the tour. End quote. Obviously, as you can tell with these suits and countersuits, there's very much flowery language that's used on both sides. Uh, it, it almost seems like, like both sides should be wearing big powdery wigs as they, they deliver this information. Continuing with Rex's article, though, uh, Phil Mickelson, Taylor Gooch, Hutchin Swafford, H- Hudson Swafford, Ian Poulter withdrew from the lawsuit earlier this week, leaving Matt Jones, Bryson DeChambeau, Peter Uline, and Liv Golf, which joined the lawsuit last month, as the plaintiffs. The tour also argued that while Live Golf is challenging the circuit's media rights regulations, the startup league has similar regulations that were, quote, indeed far more restrictive, close quote, than the tour's regulations. And the counterclaim, which seeks a jury trial and, quote, damages, including lost profits, end quote, the tour argues that Live Golf encouraged players to violate tour regulations, saying, and again, I'm quoting from the suit. Liv has executed a campaign to pay the Liv players astronomical sums of money to induce them to breach their contracts with the tour in an effort to use Liv players and the game of golf to sports wash the recent history of Saudi atrocities, close quote. The counterclaim also cited Taylor Gooch's contract with Liv Golf, which required he to, quote, assist Liv in seeking to persuade players to enter into multi-year player participation agreements with Liv, close quote. The tour claim Liv Golf convinced players that, quote, and again, they may openly breach their contractual obligations to the tour and misled players into believing they could play both a full Live Golf schedule and the PGA Tour. Live statements regarding golfer freedom are a thinly veiled public relations ploy concocted to disparage the tour and deflect criticism of Live's own restrictive business model, the claim reads. Uh, so that's from Rex Hoggard in his article about Live Golf and the PGA Tour and the countersuit by the PGA Tour. I spoke to a legal expert regarding the same, just to get some more clarity and understanding about this. And what what they said, which is typical in this regard, is that when you're sued and your countersuit goes back, what you're trying to do is take the strongest parts, what you perceive to be the strongest parts of the opponent's claims and spin it so you use it against them. So what they're doing in this case is you can see that the tour is referencing the the massive uh, backing that they're getting from the so-called Saudi money, as they put it. It's the public uh, investment fund uh, that's backed by the royal royal family of Saudi Arabia. And the the terminology that I was told was that that they are claiming that the Saudi-backed league has weaponized the money. Uh, and, and come forth with so much money that what they've really done is they've thrown off the competitive business environment. They have tampered with contracts that were already in place. And as a result, they have thrown everything into a disarray. That's the claim. That's, that's the summary of ba- basically of, of how it comes together. Now, I was curious that for players such as, for example, 
uh, let's take one of the prominent players that dropped out of the suit, Phil Mickelson. Is that in some way potentially an effort to protect himself from going through discovery and perhaps having things about him he doesn't want made public uh, through that process of somehow coming out to the public? And I was told that's not really the case because if you are a a prominent individual and if you have been prominently involved in what is has led to this point of suit and countersuit, then you still can be deposed. Uh, the other side of it, which goes to a question that Dom was asking me before we went on the air today, uh, and he said, okay, well, if those depositions take place, are we going to be subject to a constant flow of information? And the reality is, is that there's no reason for any of us to believe that there's going to be some constant current of salacious information coming out as this process of discovery starts to ensue, because both parties have reason to protect that information as proprietary to their respective business, not to mention the fact that it could be private to the individuals, even though the information might be collected for the purposes of the judge and for the purposes if it should go to a jury trial. So that's something to keep in mind as well. Now, Rory McIlroy speak. Dom, did you have any other questions on that or did, did that summary kind of help better understand what took place? I mean, the summary helps a little bit. I, I, I mean, I will openly and freely admit that I, I think I'm like most people with this situation. I am confused because these people are filing like 70, 80, 90, 100 page filings. I don't understand 90% of what's being thrown around. It from the outside looking in, being ignorant, which I am, and I know that, it feels like playground fights with eight-year-olds. It's very strange to me that the complaints that they're throwing at each other. Well, you said that, and, you know, like, they complained about the tour's media rights being restrictive, and then the tour files a counterclaim and goes, no, no, you're restrictive. And it's just it just feels very, like... <laughs> It feels very seven-year-old a little bit, and I don't, I'm not sure what the end is going to look like from the court standpoint. I mean, I realize that there's – and you're going to talk about Roy's comments where he talks a little bit about coming to the table and maybe finding a resolution. But from a legal standpoint, I have no clue what this looks like at the end. I, I do wonder – there seems to be a lot of dirty laundry being aired out here, and I wonder when the discovery process starts – which is going to happen in the next few months. I realize that the trial date isn't set until January of 2024, so we've got a year of this. But with the discovery process starting and sort of files being released, at least within the legal system, do you know how much of that stuff is going to become public, can become public, should become public? Are we gonna, should we expect a lot more dirty laundry to be aired here? I would not expect it, Dom, from from what I've seen and heard and and the research that I've done and the legal experts that I've spoken to for the reasons that I referenced earlier. Much of this is proprietary information, and all of it, when it comes to the individuals, is going to be probably considered private to them. So I really wouldn't expect a great deal of salacious information. There will be some things that leak out, there's no doubt. But just for a better understanding of of the kind of broad brush questions that that you uh, presented, you have two parties that are fiercely competing against each other. Both parties are claiming that they've been injured by the other party's actions. And so they've gone to a court and said, look, 
this is not within the confines of the law in the manner in which they are conducting themselves. And we want the judge and or a jury, because the judge can make a summary judgment, the judge can recommend that they, that they go to arbitration. There's a lot of things that can happen before an actual jury trial and before an actual judgment is made one way or another. They could come to a settlement on their, on their own right, and we'll get into the prospects of that uh, based upon Rory's comments and otherwise in just a moment. So that's essentially what's going on here is you have two sides. The, the first side came out and said, they did us harm. Here's the reason why and how they did us harm. So it's illustrated. They have a set date in which they have to answer that claim, which the PGA Tour did. And the PGA Tour comes back and goes, no, 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 no. It wasn't us that upset the Apple card. It was them. And these are the reasons why. Uh, now, part of the reason that that they do this, according to, again, the legal experts that I've consulted with, is because it also reveals strategy on each side and because they're also trying to plant ideas in the mind of the, the judge and in the mind of potential jurors in terms of how they judge the, the which party was more aggrieved by the other. So uh, hopefully that that gives you a little bit more perspective on on how the process works. It is incredibly detailed. Uh, it, it is, I would even describe it as cumbersome, not from a standpoint that it's not organized, but it's just such a massive, massive effort that they have to put forth in order to make all of this happen. So that's that's essentially where we're at. Now, to Rory's comments, this, this came on the heels of the, the countersuit by the PGA Tour. This article is credited to Max Schreiber, also, GolfChannel.com headline reads, Golf is ripping itself apart right now. Rory McIlroy open to PGA Tour slash Live Truce. And he writes, Rory McIlroy is again speaking out on the rift consuming professional golf. On Wednesday, ahead of the DP World Tour's Dunhill Lynx Championship at St. Andrews, McIlroy, the, the world number two, said that the PGA Tour and the Saudi-backed Live Golf Circuit should form a truce, quoting, I've always said that I think there is a time and a place where everyone that's involved should sit down and try to work together, McElroy said. It's very hard for that to happen right now when there's two lawsuits going on, close quote. In August, 11 live players, including Phil Mickelson, filed an antitrust lawsuit against the PGA Tour and the U.S. District Court of Northern, uh, Northern California, claiming that, among other things, the circuit has abused its a monopolistic power with anti-competitive practices. However, the lawsuit is now down to four plaintiffs, Matt Jones, Bryson DeChambeau, Peter Uline, and Live Golf themselves. Meanwhile, another lawsuit has allowed Live players to play in the DP World Tour until a ruling is expected in February. As time goes on, McElroy, who has repeatedly been one of the PGA Tour's biggest defenders, believes that an agreement between the two sides is more likely. I think as well, there's a natural timeline here to let temperatures just sort of settle down a little bit and people can maybe go into those mediations with cooler heads and not be so emotional about it all, he said. However, as time passes, live defectors will drop in the world rankings as the tour does not receive world ranking points, though the circuit recently applied for such designation. Last week, all 48 live players signed it a letter that they sent to Peter Dawson, who is the chairman of the OWGR seeking such designation. McElroy is open to live players receiving world ranking points, but notes that live right now doesn't meet the standard to do so saying, quote, I certainly would want the best players in the world ranked accordingly. I think Dustin Johnson is somewhere around 100th in the world. It's not an accurate reflection of where he is in the game, but at the same time, you can't make up your own rules. There's criteria there and everyone knows 
what they are. If they want to pivot to meet the criteria, they can. And then all of a sudden, I certainly have no problem with them getting world ranking points at all. But you have to just meet the criteria. And if you don't meet the criteria, then it's going to be hard to justify why you should have them. So the article continues. You can find it at golfchannel.com. But I just want to comment on the few things that that Rory said. Uh, Rory is worried about the game of golf being ripped apart because of the rift between Liv and because of the PGA Tour. Both sides are digging themselves in. And if you need any evidence of that, just take a look at the suit and countersuit between the two respective sides. Is there grounds somewhere, somehow, for these two entities to exist at the same time? When you have players such as Rory McIlroy suggesting that there is an opportunity that the two of them can exist in the same golf world, then we have to break down, okay, what are some of the barriers to overcome in order to do that? The first one, I think, is the 800-pound gorilla that's in the room, and that is the source of funding for Live Golf. Uh, The fact that in the United States in particular, if not worldwide, people are so offended by the grievances of the Saudi royal family relative to uh, human rights, but as I mentioned, alluded to the the USA, also because of the alleged Saudi involvement with the 9-11 plots with the majority of the terrorists coming from Saudi Arabia. So from that standpoint, again, one guy's opinion, but I think the way to adjust it is, or to address it is that the investment in Live Golf has got to be diversified. In other words, dilute the fact that the massive funding is coming from the public investment fund from the Saudi royal family. And to that point, even if someone would scoff at that and go, well, what's different about that? You're still getting money from the public investment fund. I would come back and say, well, wait a minute. Unless you're, you're willing to live with the hypocrisy, there is Saudi investment money everywhere. Uh, for example, FedEx has money from that same public investment fund, a Disney, Visa, Uber. I could go on and on with all the different companies that have received uh, investment funds. The difference is, is those investment funds are just a percentage, and in some cases, a tiny percentage of the source of funds that back the, these respective companies in, the, in this form, uh, stocks, etc. So if it could get to a point where there was a diversified source of funds with Live Golf, and I've said this from day one, would it be as offensive if it wasn't for the fact that right now they appear to be funded by vast majority, if not in the entirety, from a source of funding that people find uh, to be offensive because of the offenses uh, to human rights coming out of Saudi Arabia. So it's something to be considered there. As to the official World Golf ranking points, and this goes back to Dom's comments that he made a second ago, that it, it kind of it does kind of seem like kids throwing sand at each other in a sandbox. That letter that they referenced that all 48 players that are members of Live signed, uh, it, it, they clearly were not, they didn't get together and write it all together because it had that same kind of finger pointing tone uh, where, they, where they want to get world ranking points. Well, here is the reality. When you look at that list and you look at the quality of players that are on that list, and I get it, I realize that there are some players that are getting long in the tooth and and getting ready for the next stages of their career, whatever that may be in the current environment. But there are other players on there like Cam Smith and, and as Rory referenced, Dustin Johnson, that are clearly still capable of competing at the highest level. Cam Smith is, is the reigning Open champion. So from that standpoint, do players of that caliber 
deserve to be ranked uh, so that we know where they stand relative to the other best players in the world? And the answer is a resounding yes. The problem is, is that the presumption and the letter that is coming from Live Golf, which revealed to us their motivation, is that we should get world ranking points because we are the best players in the world. Okay, then how do you do it if you don't have the same standard that all of the other best players in the world are measured against? And the fact that Live Golf has already invested hundreds of millions of dollars in the Asian tour, which is an accredited tour with world ranking points. Uh, To me, it seems like a, a pretty straightforward fix, even though it would be a break in the essential uh, structure of how they introduce themselves in the world, meaning uh, you'd have to go to 72 holes. Now, I get that there are events that give world ranking points that are 54 holes. When it happens on the PGA Tour, it's usually weather-related, and it's very rare. When it happens at a place like Tiger's uh, Hero World event where it's a tiny field, uh, it's, it's, again, very, very rare. There's 47-some there's events, uh, and I'm not even sure if that number is, is 100% accurate. It's very close on the PGA Tour, and the vast majority of those events, and I mean about 95 to 98%, are 72-hole events. There's basic criteria. You have to have an avenue of ascension. You have to have an avenue of of, of qualifying to get into the events, et cetera, et cetera. There's all these different things that you have to qualify, all of which, again, the Asian Tour qualifies for. They are an accredited tour. So if the the Asian Tour co-sanctioned the live events and the live events changed their structure so that it met with the world uh, criteria, world ranking structure, the criteria of such, they'd get their world ranking points. There, there wouldn't even be a debate here. But again, the debate seems to be, be based more on principle where, again, going back to that, what I just said, uh, spurred by Dom's observation of sand being thrown at each other by kids in a sandbox because Liv is saying, we deserve world ranking points. Yeah, you do. However, you don't meet the current criteria and you can with, I think, without a great deal of struggle. And then it comes down to, okay, how could these two entities that seem to be polar opposite of each other philosophically at the time, uh, in, in other words, they hate each other, just to put it in, in a different perspective, how could they possibly come together? Where, where could there be a common ground? Consider the fact that this year that we're in is the last year of the wraparound season on the PGA Tour. After this, they're going to go to a start in January, and I presume it's going to end at the, at the end of September with the Tour Championship schedule. And then the fall after that, will, and they're going to only be 70 players exempt from 125. It still will go to 125, but there will only be 70 that are going to have the card right then. And then they're going to use that fall section, the time of year that we're in right now, they're going to say, okay, this is where those of you outside the top 70 have to fight to get into the top 125. And that will determine those who are fully exempt heading into the next season. You got me? So if you look at it from that perspective, presuming that Liv is still going to, as, as they've had from the, stated from the beginning, that they want the best of the best. So presuming that Liv is going to have the best of the best, okay, well, is there an opportunity then from October, November, uh, in December, that in those three months that you could have live events that aren't impacting those because the stars are, they're not going to be presumably playing in the fall season on the PGA tour, unless they want to, and they certainly can. Uh, So there's a question of in those months, 
could you put some live golf events together? And again, I know there's people out there going, you know, standing up right now, listening to me going, whoa, 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 whoa. Live wants to do 14 events. There's not even 14 weeks. I get it. But you could put events in that time frame, you know, a good run of events in that time frame that would work. Then the question would be, okay, whatever the balance is and whatever number of events, say, if they had a negotiation that Liv was going to have, could you find spots throughout the rest of the year, one-offs here and there, where you could have the events? I think it could be done. So again, that it's, it's a question of timing. It's a question of place. It's a question of if, if the issue, and I realize it's a huge question, but if the issue of funding was addressed so that that area that has so many people offended, and I'm not judging people for being offended on that. I think people have a right uh, to their offense. But if there was a way to address that so that live was not something that people found reprehensible based upon that fact, would there be an opportunity to say, okay, the world of golf is big enough that it can exist with these two different entities finding common ground. I think it's a fascinating thing to consider. And when you have the likes of someone like Rory McIlroy, who is a strident and ardent protector of the PGA Tour and has been throughout this entire discussion, suggesting that, yeah, but maybe there is an opportunity where there is some common ground here where the game of golf doesn't have to be ripped apart. Because ultimately, the way it's going right now, as these great players continue to drop in their world rankings because of the structure that we just chronicled for you in great detail, uh, then you're talking about it impacting the most important events in the game. And if the major championships do not have the fields that are as strong as they should be, then how is everybody being served? When we come back in the Fairways of Life show, we are going to go to sound. We're going to stack it up. As I told you, you're going to hear from all of those that won and those who came close to winning in the week that just was. We want to encourage everyone to log on to dewizgolf.com. At dewizgolf.com, you can see their incredible wearable technology that will let you know your game like you have never known it before. Based on neuroscience, it measures your golf swing in real time and in real space, and you get immediate feedback, not only on device, but also on the app. It is amazing. And there's a reason why so many players of prominence are starting to adopt it. You can be one. Just log on to thewizgolf.com. Boeing Golf provides the ultimate world-class golf destination with 10 championship-caliber courses spanning three resorts. Centered in Michigan's northern Lower Peninsula, the courses are the products of some of the game's masters, including Robert Trent Jones Sr., Arthur Hills, and Donald Ross. From the all-inclusive vacation packages, elite instruction with the Boeing Golf Academy, tournaments, and so much more, Boeing Golf truly offers an unrivaled Michigan golf vacation experience. Just log on to boeinggolf.com. I guess, hello world, huh? <laughs> and with one subtle hello, Tiger began an amazing and unthinkable career. I've done it for 20 years now with, with Bridgestone. It allows me to play an aggressive style around the greens, and it's allowed me to win a lot of tournaments. Bridgestone Golf, proud to be part of your journey. You're a golf fan. I am giving all this equipment away. 
I'm Matt Adams, host of the Fairways of Life show. We're the only live daily golf show on YouTube. We're also available on demand. You can just click and subscribe right here, and we give away product to our subscribers. I literally give it to you. What other show does that? There is no other show that's live every day on YouTube. All you have to do is click and subscribe, and you got a chance at winning some of this. Are you ready for golf's biggest season ever because we are our certified fitters are waiting to fit you for free with the latest clubs from callaway taylormade cobra titleist and more plus shop the latest gear and apparel from all your favorite brands experience golf's biggest selection under one roof don't just shop this season shop with the pros at the pga tour superstore created without the constraints of time or money PXG golf clubs are the most technologically advanced available today, and they are a perfect union of art, science, and engineering. And the PXG experience is unlike any you've had before. After you've been custom fit, your clubs will be built to exacting standards and your exact specs in the USA. So when you hear it, you know, PXG, nobody builds golf clubs the way we do, period. Nestled amongst the hills of the Hoosier National Forest resides a classic American destination, the French Lick Resort. Experience the ultimate in golf at the Pete Dye Course at French Lick, voted number one course in Indiana on Golf Week's Best You Can Play for 10 years in a row. The Donald Ross Course at French Lick has been named Indiana's number two course in Golf Week's Best You Can Play rankings every year since 2011. Come experience old world opulence amid modern comfort served with Midwestern charm. Visit FrenchLick.com. Matt, thanks. There was a lot of drama, as there usually is on a Sunday. This time, the Sanderson Farms Championship. Dennis Paulson was our analyst this week. And, DP, it's just never easy to win golf tournaments on the PGA Tour. We had a playoff Sunday, and Mackenzie Hughes came out in front over Sepp Straka to win for a second time. Such an interesting golf course that they have here with all the birdies that you can make early on this for back nine and there was a lot of lead changes a lot of stuff happened kind of coming down the stretch and then you got to play 16 17 and 18 a very difficult stretch especially 17 the easy hole in the middle didn't play that easy today and i mean you look back on it right now and i think the up and down at 15 and 16 for mckenzie hughes were huge for the simple fact that if you didn't get either one of those up and down it's not going to be in a playoff and not to mention he made a hundred you know, got down in two from 100 feet with his putter on the 72nd hole to get it done. The short game was legendary this week for him. So, and Mackenzie Hughes afterwards talked about how proud he was to kind of grind out through the day. He missed six to seven fairways coming in on the back nine. And, you know, he talked about his attitude and that he's kind of worked on things to have more confidence on the golf course. And for him, it paid off on Sunday. Honestly, I think it's the mental side that did pay off because it would have been very easy for him to get frustrated where he was driving the golf ball, but he just kind of stayed the course and figured it out and and stayed positive and was able to hang in there and and get the win. And i got to take my hat off to Sepp Straka. He's been playing some incredible golf. It's sad that he's had two playoff losses here in about two months, and just playing too good a golf to not get another victory under his belt. Well, he came close again, and that was the other guy I wanted to talk about. Uh, Straka, he he wins last year for the first time, almost won a FedEx Cup playoff event, 
lost to Will Zalatoris uh, in the first one and now almost wins again. I mean, you know, he's making this a habit, uh, a guy who's now already a winner. It's a second playoff loss for him, but you're going to expect to see more of the same uh, from Sepp Straka this season, I'm guessing. Uh, you got to think. Um, man, I, just the way he's played the last couple months, you think he's probably going to get one in the fall here before we flip the calendar and start off again out there in Hawaii um, in January. I just I, I feel for him because I know what it feels like to lose a playoff, but he's playing really good golf. And I think he knows that if he just had one or two putts fall earlier in the week, he putted great today. He absolutely did, but he struggled on the greens a little bit earlier in the week. And I mean, sometimes when you take that month off, you can't cover all the bases and maybe the putter didn't really just kick into gear until today, just came up just a little short. For Mackenzie Hughes, uh, Matt, it took him nearly six years, five years and 10 months to win again, but he's now a two-time winner on the PGA Tour after his victory at the Sanderson Farms Championship. And next week, Matt, Vegas, baby, for the Shriners Children's Open. I felt pretty good coming into this week. I had a um, a solid week in Napa. I was close to kind of finishing that one off and having a a high finish, but felt good coming in here, uh, putting in some good work, and then kind of got off to a so-so start on Thursday. And, yeah, I didn't shoot myself out of it, but – you know, one under par and had some work to do. And then Friday, I really found some nice, nice rhythm and uh, started making some nice putts. And I felt like at that point I had put myself in the mix and I felt like I was going to stay there. Uh, I just had a, had a belief after that round that uh, my game was at a, at a great spot and been working really hard on the mental side of things too, to instill that belief in myself. I, I tell myself, um, you know, a lot of things throughout the day and, and try to really overdo the positive um, kind of up the you know up this positive self-talk a lot and and I use that a lot today I know there was there were times that I had some doubt and uh, I just kept reminding myself that I was really good and it's hard to do sometimes because this game can beat you up but um, I'm really proud of the work that I've done and uh, but I get a lot of help too from from a lot of people around me my caddy Jace he did a phenomenal job today and um Having my family here, like you said, was was just the the cherry on top. So, um, really, really fun week and uh, just a golf course that I really like. So, I'll be, I'll be back uh, for many more years. Yeah, the second one <clears throat> felt harder because um, I've had to wait a lot longer for it. The first one came in my fifth tournament as a PGA Tour member, so I felt like, oh man, this is this is going to be easy. I'm going to be able to rack off a few of these, and uh, it's been six years since I, I did that. So. It was unbelievable, and like you said, I feel like it, uh, I, I didn't need the validation, but it's nice to you know, be a two-time winner instead of a one-time winner, and uh, I hope to add to that tally. Yeah, so I started working with um, a trainer out in California uh, named Mike Carroll. He uh, runs a company called Fit for Golf, and uh, I kind of came across his stuff uh, a couple years ago during COVID, and that was kind of when I decided I was going to start doing some of that, and uh, in the last couple of years, I've kind of wavered um, in and out of it a little bit. Um, in the last, I'd say, two and a half months, two months, I've really upped the, the ante on that and have kind of really bought in. And um, it's a huge focus of mine going forward, just feeling like, you know, if you go down the top 10 in the world rankings, um, all those guys are moving out there pretty good with a lot of speed. And that's just 
something I feel like I'm very capable of, and it just needs uh, needs some some hard work and dedication to get there. So that's uh, that's the goal and the plan, and um, I'll keep working that plan until I feel like I'm uh, you know at a speed that I'm uh, pretty happy with. Yeah. So before the round, actually, you know, I try and do it every every other day, pretty much. And um, the key with this training is that I feel like I need to kind of do it throughout tournament weeks as well. I can't just stop for tournament weeks and say, hey, I'll just do it next week because you know, we're on the road so much. We play so many events. Um, so yesterday before the round, um, I hit 10 drivers um, as hard as I possibly could just to feel like what's my top speed. And then I can kind of work back to you know my cruising speed or um, kind of a stock driver swing. But uh, doing that, you know, I want to basically elevate my ceiling, what my, my max can be, and then when I go out, go out in the course, you know, obviously it's not going to be quite that that fast, but I just want to creep it up uh, over time. So it's been working so far, and um, you know, I'll uh, yeah keep working hard at it, see if I can uh, get some more. Yeah, no, today I actually hit a drive on the the fifth hole, and the wind was off the right a little bit, so it wasn't really helping too much. And the bunker was like 290 to carry, and it was like 300 to the fairway, and I actually didn't hit it my best. And uh, carried the bunker no problem. So, just kind of one of those one of those ones where you're like, that was awesome because it you know that's exactly what I, I do this for. So, and then a few par fives this week where I had some really great drives and, and gave myself some some shorter clubs. So, um, yeah, definitely a few mo- moments where I saw it pay off. I, I, unaware of that, I didn't uh, I didn't realize at what point I started celebrating, but um, I knew you know about a foot out that it was it was going right in the middle and. It's uh, that's like the best feeling in the world, but the putt itself, um, you know, was really straight, uh, and I was kind of fortunate in that in regulation I had a about a three and a half footer from the little left of that, and then on the first playoff hole I had about a five footer from just right of that, and I felt like I was right in the middle of those two, and in regulation I felt like my putt was going a little bit right, uh, the first playoff hole was going to hair left, and then this one was really straight, so. Again, felt fortunate that I had landed in that spot where I was comfortable with the read. Felt like I was confident in what it was going to do. And, you know, I played it right in the middle of the hole and it went dead straight. So um, that was that was pretty sweet. My, my oldest son is old enough now to kind of understand it. And, you know, he knows when dad misses the cut and we have to go home. And uh, when his friend's dad's missed the cut and they have to go home and... And then he also sees the trophies I have at home that uh, I've won, but he's never seen Dad win a trophy, so he always asks, you know, when am I going to get another trophy, and uh, when does he get to have a trophy? And so this one might sit in his room for a while because he's uh, been talking about it for, for quite some time. And I had to really fight back some of those feelings, even coming down the last few holes of just I wanted that that moment really badly to to have my family there and um, to come on to the 18th green and and to share that with them. So you're trying to push those thoughts to the side, but uh, at the same time, I I knew I was playing really well and um, I was focused on what I had to do. But it was uh, bar none the best part of the of the day was was them coming on the green. I don't know if it's extra fuel, but it was you know it was disappointing and it um, well I guess you could say it was fuel because I definitely. I definitely worked a little harder after that and, and felt like that was a team I really, really, really badly wanted to be on. And I felt like I could have could have been a good help there. Um, and I totally respected 
Trevor's decision to, to go the, the direction he went. Um, and the team, you know, there wasn't a, you know, there wasn't a weak link on that team. There was uh, 12, 12 great players, and um, they had a really tough opponent in the, in the U.S., but um, I still cheered like hell for them to, to pull it off. And But I'm definitely motivated for Montreal, and um, I don't want to have to let that come to a captain's pick next time when uh, when that comes around. I mean, definitely disappointing. I feel like I handled myself the way I wanted to. Um, I felt like I was pretty nails on the greens and around the greens early on, uh, which, you know, to me tells me that I was handling my nerves okay. Um, at the end of the day, I just all week didn't hit enough fairways, um, and it finally caught up to me today. Uh, greens got pretty baked out, and you just couldn't really do anything from the rough. Uh, yeah, I mean, I've been working on some new swing stuff, and obviously it's been really good, um, but it didn't hold up under pressure when I needed it. Um, I think it's still kind of in that, you know, uh, conscious competence range where I know what I need to do, but I still have to think about it in order to do it. And when you're tired or under the gun like I was today, uh, when you're under pressure like that, it kind of needs to be unconscious, unconscious and it needs to just come naturally. And it's not there yet. Um, I know I'm working on the right things but I just got to get better. Uh, and so that, you know, when I am in the situation again, it, it just kind of comes naturally and I don't have to think as much and, you know, I have something to fall back on. And, and I kind of lost it early on today and I just didn't really have anything to fall back on because it's just kind of new, too new still. I think so, because obviously it's been six years, but I kind of knew it was coming because a strange thing happened in 2016 when I won. My best mate, James, he won the Ketchum Golf Club Championship. And then this year he's won his second club championship. And he was like, this is your year because you're going to win. You win every year to win the year I win. And then I went out and won. So hopefully he wins the club champs next year and I can get another one under my belt. But yeah, putted well. I, I rolled it very well. Um, I did feel like I left a couple out there coming in. Like I, on 15 and 16, I hit them very close and they just won over the edge of the hole. But that was just the grain keeping them out. I hit good strokes and, yeah, I just felt confident. I've been working hard on that um, with my putting coach, Nick Soto. So, yeah, it's been good. I actually enjoyed that. I really enjoyed that. I find stuff like that fun because it, like, puts the pressure on me and then I've got to commit to it and do it. Do you know what I mean? So, no, I, I really enjoyed that. I love a challenge, like a challenge... Um, and this golf course is challenging. I play off the backs at home, off the back tees with the boys, um, and I always try and you know push myself to tricky golf courses when I'm at home. So when I come on tour, they're a bit shorter um, and a good length. So this week I felt like it very much suited my game, um, and yeah, I found it very scorable for myself. Yeah, I just think at the end of the day, it's just a sport, and you're not going to die if you hit a bad shot, and just go out there and have fun. And that's basically what I do. And I get bored if I don't go for pins. And then when I get bored, I don't play as good. So if I just go to pins, keep myself on my toes, make a few birdies, and it, I get in, I, I find it interesting and exciting. And then that's when I usually play my be best golf. Yeah, it, felt, it feels really good, especially to see Georgia. She's like my best friend on the 18th green, and she sprayed me with a bottle of champagne or whatever it was. And it was just really cool, um, especially after seeing her win like the British Open and then in Portland a couple of years ago. It kind of spurs you on, and it's good how we can kind of push each other because we hang out a lot off the golf course, so it's it's just good. Um, I've actually had some good results this year. Um, I've had a very similar season to my 2016 season, so 
And I'm actually happy that I've got a couple of events left as well because I felt like in that 2016 season, if I had a few more, I could have pushed on. So, yeah, it's all exciting. But I don't really think too much at the end of the day. As I said, it's just a game and you've got one life and go out there and enjoy it. Um, it's pretty surreal, to be honest. I don't know if I can quite put it into words. Um, it's always one of, one of my favourite weeks of the year to come to. It's an event I probably haven't done overly well in the past either, but always had a whole lot of fun and... You know, this this year probably meant a little bit more to me. Um, you know, Warney was my partner for the last few years, and um, yeah, we, we a lot of us missed him dearly this year. And um, I know he was helping me out there today. And um, on top of that, I have my parents travelled up from New Zealand for four weeks and seen a couple of missed cuts and a withdrawal. So um, yeah, pretty special to have them out here for for a win. Usually, a lot of wins come with a little bit of luck. I noticed after your tee shot in the first, you found yourself in a divot thinking probably this might have been things of uh, to come for the day but it, it wasn't the, the case and a lot of New Zealand flags following you around I noticed what was it like to have them around you yeah it was cool out there I definitely noticed uh, a lot of Kiwis out there and um, yeah I mean golf sort of has a way of evening itself out right that the light the first was terrible but also had a terrible drive down 16 and, and that managed to stay in bounds and made a pretty easy par and um, yeah I just I felt like I had a little bit of help up there today like I like I said and um, yeah just yeah this is always a very well supported event as well and it was great to be out there in the last group and, and contending and obviously you know to, to get a win around the old course um, is, is very special. We know things can change in a dime round here seven birdies you found on your car today how big was the one on 15 though? That was huge um, probably made it almost made the last three holes a little tougher because um, you around here there's lots of birdie chances but you're when you're playing with a lead, you're just trying not to make a big mistake, and there's a, a few holes where you can make a big mistake down those last three, and especially 17, and that, um, yeah, it was, yeah, it was 15 was 15 was nice, gave me a bit of a cushion. I actually, I felt great early through the first 12 holes. I felt like I didn't miss a shot, and then um, and I maybe just lost a little bit of rhythm. It got a bit slow out there as well um, on the back nine, and just nice to hang on here in the end, to be honest. Every win is so special. I know this will mean a lot to you. How are you going to celebrate later? Um, well, I'm not going to do a Cam Smith and see how many drinks I can fit in the trophy because there's far too many in that one. But I definitely have a couple tonight, but we've got a, we've got a pretty early start tomorrow. Um, my folks are going back to New Zealand, so I've got to get them back to London and then, then on a plane tomorrow afternoon. So uh, probably won't be too big, but I'll definitely enjoy a couple of wines, maybe gin and tonic tonight. Yeah, I thought if I could... Um once I got, uh, once I birdied 13, I thought if I, you know, the two birdie holes coming in were 14 and 18, and if I could birdie one more, I thought that that was, that's what I wanted to get to. I wanted to get to whatever that was, 16. Um, so then not birdieing 14 was, um, as I said, a bit of a momentum killer, and then ended up making two good pars on uh, on 15 and 16. 17's actually playing pretty tough today with that win straight off the right, so... You know, that'll be interesting to see how the guys navigate that, but 18's obviously a, a, a very easy birdie, so um, yeah, came up a, you know, two or three short of my target in the end, and it, it looks like that you know, that target probably would have been good enough to, to at least get in a playoff, but you know, we'll have to wait and see.